Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. Welcome to this installment of the Murder and Mayhem podcast. This is Valerie Koo, and I hope you're enjoying this pop-up series where you can get into the minds of some of the world's best crime and thriller authors. This is your opportunity to get an insight into what really goes on in their brains when they're cooking up all of these dastardly deeds. If you'd like the ebook version of this, you can download a free copy of A Month of Murder and Mayhem, and you can find that at murdercourse.com. In the meantime, we are talking to Ellie Marnie this week, and Ellie Marnie is the author of the highly awarded crime trilogy series for young adults, the Every Series, and that consists of Every Breath, Every Word, and Every Move, and it's been published in Australia and overseas, and it's an international success. Now, Every Breath, this first one, was one of only two Australian novels on the 2015 list of most borrowed young adult library books in the whole country. The second novel in the series, Every Word, won the Sisters in Crime Davit Award for Best Young Adult Novel. So super successful. Now in this chat, Ellie is being interviewed by fellow children's and young adult author, Alison Tate. Hello, Ellie, and welcome to our podcast. Hi, Alison. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's talk first about your Every Series, which is a trilogy. How did you come to write crime fiction in the first place? Um, well, I won the uh, is in Crime Australia uh, 2010 Scarlet Stiletto Award, and that was an adult short story prize for women crime writers, mm. um, which was fantastic. And before that, I'd experimented with other genres. So I've written in science fiction and literary fiction and 
um, horror and a few other different things, but um, I seem to be having a bit of success with crime because uh, I did pretty well in another in another uh, category for of the Scarlet Letter Awards the previous year. Mm. So I thought, okay, well, um, I'm I'm you know doing okay in crime. I seem to have a bit of a knack for it, and also I'd been into a lot of high school libraries around that time, and because um, I'm a high school teacher. And I had a bit of a look on the shelves and I realised that there was a bit of a gap on library shelves um, as far as YA crime goes. There's a lot of adult um, uh, fiction, crime fiction on high school library shelves, but not much in the way of YA crime. So I thought, okay, Um, I just kind of made a little note of that in my brain. And then when it came to a point where I was thinking I might write a novel, I knew I was going to write a YA novel because it's always been my first love. So um, then I thought, okay, well, I could write YA crime. That seems to, you know, strike a chord. So that's what I did. I started with every breath. And filled the gap on the, on the library shelves. Things <laughs> <laughs> have worked okay. So are there actually limitations for writing crime for a YA audience? Like, you know, do you have to bear the age of your readers in mind and, and to what degree and in what areas? Um, look, yeah, I think you do to some extent. Um, there's, there's varying opinions about how much you have to self-censor for a YA audience. I mean, my feeling is that uh, you have to be a bit, of, a bit more aware of your language and a bit more aware of um, how much is too much in terms of violence and gore and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think YA authors generally are fairly aware of their audience in that way. Um, but look, to be honest, I think high school students, or teenagers in general, are um, not not as afraid of of delving into into crime as as most people might think. I mean, they're actually kind of a bit fascinated with with um, murder and death and um, all of those kind of the mysteries of of why people do the things that they do. You know, why mm. people make bad choices. I mean, mm. teenagers are at that stage in their life where they're they're figuring out out their own life choices, so for them it's 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 kind of very intriguing anyway. Mm. Um, so yeah, you look you do have to be aware of it, um, but I wouldn't um, sit down and sort of think, oh, well, I have to limit myself too much because um, you know I'm, I'm only writing for teens. I, I, I'd write it first and then I'd go back and sort of think, oh. Um, that might be a bit too much, or oh, okay. Uh, maybe later in edits, I might sort of, I might pull back a little. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, most of the people that um, I've had response from have said that they enjoy having something that's a bit more realistic, a bit more gritty. And let's face it, I mean, there's a lot of teenagers out there watching Sherlock or watching Elementary and CSI, mm-hmm. and all of those things are fairly engaged with with mm-hmm. violent crime and and gore and autopsy. So I don't think teenagers back away from that stuff all that much, really. All right. So you mentioned Sherlock and Elementary because, of course, there are very heavy Sherlockian overtones in the every series yes, in the case are. of the characters. <laughs> um, did you actually begin with the characters or with the plot when it came to, you know, writing the series? Uh, absolutely the characters. Um, I always start with the characters. Mm. So I think when I decided I was going to write, YA crime, um, I thought I wanted to write something that I found deeply affecting or deeply intriguing for myself. Because, you know, writing writing anything in long form, writing any kind of long work, you, you have to really commit to it. And mm. um, 
to kind of push through to the end of a long project like that, uh, you need to find something that you're really in love with. So, uh, I mean, Sherlock Holmes is, is a character that has intrigued lots of people, but I, I read all of the Conan Doyle canon when I was in my early teens and, mm. and never really stopped being a bit infatuated, I think, with Sherlock. So mm. um, when I came to write crime, I thought, yeah, you know, that's something that I could, I could happily um, bang on about mm. for 335 <laughs> pages. <laughs> Fair enough. So do you tie yourself up in knots plotting out your novels or do you, are you like, we spoke to Michael Robotham for an earlier episode of our podcast and he, you know, revealed that he has no idea who done it <laughs> before he gets to the end, which I just found so fascinating because, you know, he writes these intricately, you know, interwoven stories and yes. I thought, how is that even possible? But yeah, what do you do? What's your process as far as I, it goes? I am I'm sorry, I'm also in the robotum camp. Oh. <laughs> I don't I don't plot very much at all. Oh wow. <laughs> I mean I, I kind of have a bit of an idea. Look I I really get deeply into the characters yeah. and I really uh, know them you know, inside and out by the time I start writing generally. Or, I mean, you know, they develop too as you go along, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, but I try to know the characters as well as I possibly can so that they're, you know, I have a, a really good idea of, of how they're going to jump if I put them in any kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just kind of make it up as I go along. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I'm, I'm a bit of a pantser. So um, what, do you write yourself into corners? Like, do you find yourself, and I ask you this question. All oh, good, time. good, because yes. I wrote myself into a corner last night and I'm still sitting here thinking, how am I going to get out of it? <laughs> yes, that does happen to me quite frequently. <laughs> so what and do you do I, in I that I sense? Do a lot of, I do a lot of backtracking and um, um, retrofitting. <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, now I've written this. Oh, gee, I'm going to have to go back 30 pages now and insert X. <laughs> yeah, okay. To make that it all work. Sense. And yeah. I mean, Quite often, I get to to somewhere about the two thirds or the three quarters of the way mark, and think, um, yeah, I really still, even at this stage, don't know how the story's going to end. Mm. Uh, I had that problem with all of the books. How am I going to end this novel, or rather, how are the characters going to find their way out? I mean, that for me is is mm. more of a question. Not so much how can I direct things, but you know, what would the characters do in this situation? What would they really do? And so for me, yeah, I'm kind of a bit character-led. So I, it's as much of a surprise to me as it is to the reader, I think, to figure out what they're actually going to, which way they're actually going to go at the end. You must have moments of humongous relief when it all comes together. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and also moments of sheer terror when I'm halfway through the writing thinking, I don't know how they're going to get out of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Um, so what, what do you do, like when you say that, I know that the characters lead you through it, but what is it like I find, for example, if I'm in that situation, like I'm sitting here today thinking about my poor corner, mm-hmm. you know, captured person. Um, <laughs> like I tend to find that I need to walk a lot to sort of dislodge somehow the plot. Like what, what sorts of things do you do when you need to sort of try to, you know, push your way forward a bit. Yeah, look, you have to step back, I think, from it. I mean, walking is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I should I should do more walking, really. I should <laughs> get up and move around more often. But, <laughs> but quite, quite often it's more something like, oh, now I've got to drive, you know. I mean, you do a lot of driving in the country. Yeah. I mean, I live out in a rural area, so 
I spend a lot of time in the car, so I do tend to work out a lot of plot um, issues mm. in the drive. Yep. Um, also, while I'm washing dishes, oh and, yes, you know, yes. doing housework or yeah. working out in the garden. Yeah. You know, when I'm when you're doing something um, kind of slightly boring and yeah. repetitive, and you don't have to put too much thought into it. Yeah. Although that makes me sound like a really bad driver, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> well, yes, but we won't go there. Yes, but, um, but yeah, look, I do. I do tend to um, find something that I can do that's that's not going to engage my brain too much, or I can just sit and listen to music or something mm. like that. And you know, sometimes it'll resolve itself. Other times, I really just have to sit myself down and with a piece of paper or a, and a big texter or a big piece of cardboard or something and actually map it out mm. how it's going to go. Mm. And then at that point, I often have to go back and do a lot of rewriting because right. I might find a solution, but it will involve some reorganisation of what came before. And so that would be probably be my next question. How many drafts do you think, you know, as a pantser, Yes. How more. many drafts would you say you do? Of more, your... <laughs> more and more handless drafts. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, um, I probably do three or four initial drafts and mm. then probably another um, three or four edited drafts. Mm. And, I mean, I, I, the thing about it is that even though I'm a pencil, I kind of edit as I go. Yeah. Um, so... Um, yeah, I would say I'd do seven or eight drafts on average, and then mm. of course a lot of rereading and and fix wrappering along mm. the way. And I I think I was talking to some students the other day, and I was saying it's my first book, Every Breath. I think I read that book somewhere in the vicinity of like 150 mm. times before it went to print. And so. you've never looked at it since, have you? <laughs> no, weirdly enough, I had to read it again as soon no. as I got the copy in my hand because it was like, oh, wow, it's a real book. Now I can read it like a book now. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> All right, so speaking of books, let's talk about your new online book club, which is the Love Oz YA book club. And Yay. it stemmed from the hashtag Love Oz YA hashtag, which is designed <laughs> to promote Australian YA fiction. Now, did the whole thing come about because of the proliferation of US voices on that most borrowed library books list? For you? Like, is that where it came from? Um, you mean the inspiration for the book club or for Love For Australia? both, for the hashtag, for the whole sort of movement, because it really has become a bit of an online movement. And I'm interested, um, you know, to see it happening. And I think it's a fantastic thing that, you know, Australian YA voices are being, you know, yeah, promoted. promoted and yeah. advocated for. Yeah. yeah, look, I think that was the initial... Um, impetus for getting together, you know, authors, publishers, booksellers, librarians, all sort of saying, hey, um, you know what, Australian kids aren't really reading local writing, <laughs> local mm. YA writing, mm. um, because uh, there were other lists published by Alia uh, um, that were, that were uh, predominantly Australian, you know, so like the adult fiction list, for instance, or the non-fiction list, I mean, there were a lot of adult titles um, that were Australian on that list. Um, but with YA, it was a it was a whole different ball game. It was mm. it was um, you know two out of ten. So yes, there's a there's obviously a huge marketing budget involved in titles that come from overseas. Mm. And I think um, Marissa Pintado pointed out recently that um, for every one Australian YA title on the shelves, there's something like nine overseas buy-ins. So, wow. so we actually are kind of. Um, a very small voice in the market, really. And considering that our our publishing industry is that that 
much smaller. Um, marketing budgets are smaller. It's just harder to get the dollars to promote. So mm. we figured, look, you know, it's time to take matters into our own hands. Mm. And we, we better start pushing our own books and and um, also as a way of developing the community of YA um, writers and and readers and and publishers and and so on. So so people who love Australian YA got together to form that that um, community love mm. Australia. Um, which has been fantastic. And the book club was, well, it was, you know, you gave me a great tip that people <laughs> love to read. People love to read. Um, and when, when they're given, you know, the opportunity to, um, to get together in a group, people love to read and then talk about the books afterwards. So, yeah. so that's why I set up the Love Oz YA book club because I thought, you know, I didn't think that we had anything else like that going and I thought it might be popular and, and it was. It was, um, I think we got, something like 160 members in the first 24 hours. Wow, that's so, brilliant. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. It was, it was a bit overwhelming, actually. And I you're now at, as of today, you're at 268 members, which is great. And I will put the link in the show notes to that Facebook group for people to join if you're interested in having a look at that. But the Thank thing you. I really love about it, and this is something that Valerie and I talk about regularly, is this notion of, you know, authors collaborating to help promote their the industry their genre you know like I I think it's important to realize that there's not you know yeah yes people you know like your book is competing with the next book or whatever but it doesn't necessarily have to be a competitive industry because readers like the next thing you know they're always looking for what's the next thing I'm going to read what am I going to read what am I going to read so I think if we yeah if there's you know if, if you get together with a group of authors and cross promote it it helps everybody, which I think is brilliant. So I think your book club is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So um, as a YA author and also obviously you're a high school uh, teacher, so you are a regular visitor in schools, would you Most say definitely. that – Sorry? Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> would you say then, like, do you think it's challenging to engage teen audiences? Like not only on the case of, in the case of you know reading getting them to to read your books etc mm-hmm. but also you know if as because you do author visits so going out to speak to authors to kids in schools um is it difficult to kind of get a teen audience involved in what you're saying um look i i mean look there's two parts okay so there's the there's the teen reading thing which everyone sort of says oh you know it's really hard to get teenagers to read um look i tend to think you, that's true to a certain extent because, you know, um, as you're getting older and and you're growing towards adulthood, you start to become interested in a, in a wide variety of things, you know, like mm. um, uh, phones and um, games and uh, extracurricular sports and, and suddenly you've got a whole lot more homework and, um, you know, there's other things like dating and, oh, you know, um, ha- household responsibility. I mean, there's a million things that start mm. to take up your time as you get older. Um, so I can sort of see where people are coming from when they sort of say teen- teenagers are hard to engage in reading. But I do think that um, that kids who start quite young as strong readers, that even if they um, if their level of reading drops off as as teenagers, it's something that they they come back to. You know, so so if you can continue to encourage and and provide motivation, you know, for, for teenagers to read. If you keep throwing books at them, basically, mm. and saying, oh, you know, read this, you love this, and give them a recommendation from, from a whole heap of different genres and particularly target their interests, you mm. know, because because I think, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, 
my kid was really loved reading when he was little, but uh, now he's older and um, he's he's stopped reading. You know, and I think, well, maybe you're just throwing the same books at them that you were throwing at them when they were nine. Mm-hmm. You know, but but now that they're fifteen, their taste might have changed and their interests have have broadened or changed. So you really need to to try a whole lot of different things to to find out what's really grabbing your attention. And I think if you can do that, they will continue to read. Mm-hmm. They will, and then after they've they've kind of gotten through the teenage years, they'll they'll maintain that that mm-hmm. reading habit. It's not something that goes away. If you if you fall in love with books as a small child, then I really think that's something that will stay with you forever. Um, and as far as engaging teen audiences. <laughs> When you're going out, I actually, I actually love talking to teenagers because I think they're they're funny and they're engaging and and they always say something surprising. So, um, and I work with teenagers, um, you know, day to day. Uh, I also live with teenagers because I've got a couple of teenagers living in my house right now. My sons, my two older sons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually really like teenagers a lot. <laughs> And I think that when going out to speak to them, if you really like them and, um, and, it's, and it's kind of obvious that you like chatting to them and getting on with them, and if you're not too scared of, of teenagers as a group, um, then I think they're actually they're a fantastic audience. You know, they're really, really, um, like I said, they've got wide-ranging interests. So they, they will, they will um, ask you loads of different curious questions. And, and I find them, yeah, really pretty connected generally and really fun to talk to. So I don't ha- tend to have too many problems when I go out to schools and um, and talk to teenagers in schools. Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, being a teacher does help, um, knowing what it's like to interact with teenagers on a, on a daily basis does give yeah. you a bit of a leg up when it comes to presenting. Yeah, okay. Well, because I know a lot of uh, people do find the whole notion of going to speak to a group of teenagers quite scary. So it's good yeah, to know that yeah. you're telling us they're still people. So that's nice to know. <laughs> a lot of parents find their teenagers, you know, like, oh my God, this is a whole new person. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they're, they're pretty good. Once you get to know them, they're, they're really nice. They go all right, <laughs> do they? Okay. Yeah, they go all right. All right. So, um, are you conscious of trying to build a platform to help promote your books? Like, have you been encouraged by your publisher to do that? Yes, of course. I think it's something that every um, author has to do now. I, yeah. I don't think it's, um, it's something that you can sort of um, dip into or or just sort of say, oh, look, I, that's a kind of a commercial game. You know, I'm not going to get involved in it. I mean, that's really an, an integral part of, of being a writer now yeah. is, is learning to engage with a, with the, the readership that's out there. And also, you know, I mean, it's kind of fun doing that. Yeah. Um, and and it's also something that, um, I mean, it, the tools are all there. It's it's very accessible now to, to communicate with readers, to communicate with booksellers and, and librarians, you know. I mean, librarians are great to talk to. Mm. And, and, yeah, I think, I think you're kind of missing out, actually, if you're um, not getting engaged and if you're not building a platform. And so what are some of the things that you do? Like where do you tend to put your time as far as that stuff goes? Um, I have a website which is kind of like a hub. But mm-hmm. then I also do regular blog updates on mm-hmm. my blog. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. <laughs> I have to confess. I mean, you know, Twitter is a real word medium and there are a lot of writers on Twitter. Yeah. It's really fun, <laughs> um, isn't it? It is. It's really good fun. You know, I've gotten actually, I've, uh, particularly because I'm a rural writer and I live a long way out of town. 
So for me, Twitter has been a real lifeline because it's it's connected me with the larger writing community in a way that I would never have had access to otherwise. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? agree I, with I that. don't get to so many events and things like that. So it's really important to have that um, that access to the larger writing community. Um, I'm also on Instagram and Pinterest. They're, they're kind of platforms that I'm just starting to um, branch into. Mm-hmm. But um, I like it a lot, you know. I yeah. like taking photos, so Instagram's fun. And Pinterest, Pinterest is some, something that I think I could spend an awful lot of time on <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I let myself. I know, that's but a trouble. Uh, at the moment, I'm just, I'm just limiting myself to a certain amount of time each day. Otherwise, it could turn into an obsession. I, I think. think that's the, probably the key to the whole thing. All right, so um, just to finish up for today, uh, we yeah. always ask our uh, interviewees um, mm-hmm. for their top three tips for writers. So what would you say were your top three tips for YA writers? Top three tips for YA writers. Um, okay, well then, my first tip would be read in YA. Mm. You know, I mean, that sounds really obvious, but a lot of people try writing in the genre, in the category, I should say, mm. before they um, have had um, a, a really uh, good chance to to get stuck into what's already existing mm. in the category, mm. and and so. So it's it's really important for people to be a little bit up with what's going on in the category and and who you know get to know a few of the people who are writing in the different genres within the category. Um, so yeah, look, that's really important. Read lots of YA if you want to write in YA. Mm. Um, I would also say get a platform so you can communicate with your readers. You know, whether that platform is on Twitter, whether it's on Facebook, or um, um, you know, something else on Instagram, find something that makes you feel comfortable. Yep. And and then you can branch out from there. Yep. And of co- and the other thing is, um, like, I mean, this is just a tip for people who are who are already getting into the writing, but you know, you have to you have to take a kind of a workmanlike approach. I mean, this is a general writing tip, I guess. Um, I'm I'm of the Stephen King school of writing, you know, which is just bum on seat, uh, just work mm. and don't get up until you're finished mm. and finish what you start, you know, mm. like like a bricklayer or a plumber. You know, yeah. I've started a job and now I've got to complete it. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I'm just not one of those people that kind of waits for the muse to strike or something. I think you have to be a bit more professional than that. I think you have to just knuckle down and work your way through that crappy first draft and then once you've got it all out, then you can go back and Fix and, it. and edit and, and make it pretty. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ellie. It's been really interesting and I'm sure our listeners have probably um, got a lot of fantastic tips and things like that to uh, to take away with them this week. So thank you very much and good luck with the next thing. Thank you very much for having me, Alison. And, um, yeah, um, have a great day. Thanks. There you go, Alison Tate interviewing Ellie Marnie. And you'll find a summary of Ellie's top tips in the ebook, A Month of Murder and Mayhem. If you want to download it for free, it's at murdercourse.com. I really love how Ellie talks about the fact that young adult readers are a lot more sophisticated these days and we don't have to be quite so careful. I mean, of course, we need to be careful and responsible, but they can deal with a lot more complex issues 
issues and grisly issues and crime-related issues than probably generations before. There are so many young people who are exposed to that sort of thing in movies and television. And so it's really important to be able to cater to what they are able to cope with and to really understand your audience and spend time with that audience. And if you're thinking of writing for the young adult market, that is absolutely vital. So I hope you enjoyed this instalment with Ellie Marnie. The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. With online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing, students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.